Perfect. All right, hello everyone. This is Haunted Hacker Podcast number 49. And tonight we've got Sean Tickle, director of CyberGuard, and he will tell us a little bit about himself and the company. Just a little background, how I met Sean. So I attended National Cybersecurity Conference a couple of weeks ago, and Sean was actually one of the speakers there. And he was talking about ransomware, um, how it's developed and basically how they tackle it in general, and obviously general patterns. And obviously, hopefully we'll talk about that today as well. So yeah, Sean, please go ahead. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the company. Yeah, great. Thanks, Alex. Um, so yeah, my name's Sean Tickle. So I'm the, I'm the head of CyberGuard Technologies, which is part of the OGL group. So we're an MSSP uh, that sit within uh, what's called the OGL group, which is a, a conglomeration of other companies like uh, MSP, software development, all that sort of stuff. Um, I've been in the industry five years, give or take. So I haven't been in the industry that long. I started as that little little junior. I wouldn't well, say you've done older. well then. You've done yeah, well if you're yeah, already you know, Rose through the ranks and all the usual stuff. Um, and landed at CyberGuard uh, nearly two years ago now. For about, about a year and a half, it was like mid-pandemic, like a week before the UK lockdown, which was certainly interesting times. Um, but yeah, we've, uh, we specialize in managed detect and respond. So we have that kind of the seam element of centralized logging and, and visibility. And then uh, we utilize uh, elements such as uh, EDR, so endpoint detection and response, to uh, give us that endpoint protection from a uh, somewhat of a response point of view for isolating devices, blocking files, you know, all that kind of proactive work for if we, if we see ransomware or any, any other type of malicious malware on a... Uh, on a system, um, along with surrounding services that you, you tend to see like red teaming, penetration testing, uh, consultancy around ISO 27001, all the usual user awareness training, all the usual love you know. So, so yeah. quick question, Sean, since you've only been in the industry for a few years, um, I myself kind of switched over, been in, in like in technology, you know, throughout my life, but how, like, what was your past before that? How did you like switch so easily because obviously that's a huge uh conversation right now is you know mm. the gap yeah, and yeah. The, the this and then that so like what's your background before if you don't uh honestly i uh, i ran coffee shops so oh, i switched from i did go to university i didn't just make the the instant <laughs> switch <laughs> i wasn't like i'm done with this now but um yeah so i've been in i was in hospitality since i was 15 so I was in hospitality for a good a, a good 10 years before I decided that um, I wanted to ad advance into something that I really had a passion for I always had a passion for computers as, as most of the people that come into this industry do um, and decided to go to university so I went to University of Wolverhampton um, it was really nice because the first year you got to kind of like see which direction you wanted to move into and originally I was going to go into software development um, because I was literally, I was just chasing the money more than passion at that point. You know, I was very much, oh, yeah, there it is. Did a software development module, hated it. It just was not for me whatsoever. You know, it was it was, it was great, but it, it just, it didn't give me any sort of drive. I wasn't, I was I really wasn't feeling it. And then I did a, a cybersecurity module, um, just basic lab stuff um just it, it generally what it's all about and all the rest of it and just fell in love with it straight away so then I was like okay this is this is definitely for me this is what I want to go into 
That's and awesome. I completed my degree and um, two days after I, I finished my final module, got my, my first interview, managed to get in there um, as my junior and, and, and the rest was history then, junior wow. to, you know, security analyst and senior, then team leader, then SOC manager and then, and then the rest. But we, we have, hopefully I've, I've watched a couple of you guys' videos and I know that obviously we'll, we'll talk about a huge amount of topics, but recruitment and that break into the industry is huge for me because we... Yeah, it's it's so hard to do for some. I would say you had a Cinderella story, but you didn't. You had the genie in a bottle story that everybody's <laughs> looking for, right? Everybody wants to be able to like graduate yeah. the job that you did. Yeah. So that's really amazing that somebody like saw that in you and like took that chance. And it was great, you know. And and yeah. you know there was there was a lot I did that we can talk about that probably gave me a little bit of an edge. You know, but even when I came into the industry, like I got that first role, I, I came into my first junior role. The moment I got in, like the technology, obviously, in our industry moved so quickly that everything that I learned at university was like instantly obsolete. It was just <laughs> <Right>. done. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? Like they were throwing out buzzwords and acronyms and all this sort of weird and wonderful stuff. And I was like, huge imposter syndrome like imposter syndrome hit me straight away and I was like I do not deserve to be here like what's going on you know all of it and obviously you you get better when you get over that learning curve um and I would say that university gave me that great foundation um Mm -hmm. to to kind of at least at least know some of what they were talking about um but yeah it's crazy absolutely it's funny you say that because I think that's the question I was wondering I was like if you if you take yourself back to that first interview right you gave like what do you think exactly like triggered them to take you in because you know I know a lot of people and we got a lot of people in discord you know that probably finished they didn't study it at university but they finished a lot of so-called qualifying certificates per se right whether it's comt or ceh yeah. and they're still, yeah. they're still struggling to find jobs you know so yeah. what do you think and consider you're a little bit different where you just studied at the university but at that time i don't think so you would have completed comt or ceh and things like no, that. no i didn't and i still haven't i have actually i've only got my degree i i don't have any other certifications um so i never i never completed anything additionally after i got into the industry so what me, do you think made you unique at that point? Honestly, Why do you think that they take you? <laughs> attitude and attitude, all about attitude and attitude. Like you gotta, you gotta love it. You gotta love the industry. And and like obviously, like I said, I was chasing the money when I went to go into software development. If I was chasing the money going into security, I wouldn't have lasted my first year because the the, the level of stress that you're under and you know, and, and we can talk about that more, but all of the, I was talking about imposter syndrome and, and burnout and, you know, our, the mental health in our industry is a huge issue because, you know, like most people don't survive their first year. There's a reason why there's such a large gap in our industry for, for jobs, you know, and, and then we think like you were just saying, you know, we want people to fill them. We want, we, we've got all these great candidates and, and they're not being successful in some ways. Well, why aren't they being successful? You know, and that's a that's a complicated issue. Like, but for me, I mean, but yeah, we're 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 recruiting for four new junior analysts at the moment. So proper entry level positions. It doesn't matter. I don't look for qualifications. I look for that kind of attitude and aptitude and what we've done in terms of experience. You know, but we in the first day alone of us putting the publication out. We had 90 applications, you know, and we're like, and those were all just local to us. And we're in 
Kidderminster near Birmingham. That is not a, it's not a hot spot, you know. It's uh, <laughs> I mean it's it's one of those places, but um and, and out of those 90, 20 were applicable. So you've instantly kind of shaved down 70 applications, you know, and that's because they it just doesn't read as if they actually want to get into the industry because they want to. They want to get into, into the industry for money or you know they're bored in their current role or that sort of stuff but in order to get through that in order to you know make you that diamond in the rough and and give you that edge in interviews you have to have a a usp you're selling yourself at the end of these interviews so you've got to have okay well um are you on like one of the lads who we recruited who's doing amazingly well at the moment called matt um he came in as a junior uh he does try hack me the the uh, like the, the learning oh, yeah. platform try hack me yeah. absolutely loves it. He was the one of the top two thousand in the UK at one point, you know, or even the world. I probably got that wrong, and he'll flame me about it next week. But um, <laughs> and and that sort of like him him doing that because he loves doing it and he loves getting in. You know, he wants to get into the industry. And then, the, I mean, the biggest thing for me is that interview that I had with him. Yeah, we went through technical questions and all the usual stuff, which don't mean anything because Google exists and I can teach anything out, so it doesn't really matter. But it turned from an interview into just a conversation, and that's the biggest thing for me. It was just, oh, have you seen this? Oh, have you seen this latest attack? Have you seen this latest form of malware or or this latest attack vector? And 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 you you can see the passion in them, and the passion is what gets you over the line. You know, when you've had, I was just saying to Alex, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, I've had a hell of a week in terms of instant response this week. Um, and for us to, when you're banging your head against a wall, the passion is what gets you through it, you know. And, and for me, that's why that attitude and aptitude is so important. And also I did, I think I did a, a slide deck um, using kill chain phases on the talk, talk mm-hmm. freak, um, like from a while back. And I didn't even get to do it. <laughs> just I ended up just giving them the notes in the end and just being like oh yeah by the way here it is so yeah actually uh well when Mike gets on here uh shortly um you know he had he's actually mentoring uh the 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 kid from that that did the talk talk so no said, way really yeah so yeah, he, that's great he a lot of work in the UK and so he's uh he's done lots of work with the Met Police and he's uh he's nice. a mentor for the children and like potential you know children that are or children and teenagers or you know that are potential risk you know for going to that because we're we literally this came up the other day in another podcast that like we literally are handing you know children tools that but we're not teaching them like any responsibility with it we're like you can crack all this stuff and then we're (laughs) we're just like go you know you got you know go um and you know, there's a yeah, lot of other yeah. things, but going back to your incident response, I think we should go back to that. Cause that, yeah, I have not heard these stories. And... <laughs> I don't, yeah, they happened this week. And I, I, I think by Friday I was, I was done. I was keen. <laughs> um, oh, I think, but... I think let's start, let, let's start with the one you can probably, probably go into details is the one where you missed uh, new year's Eve, I believe. Oh yeah. I missed Christmas. Christmas Alex. Oh, I didn't just yeah. miss new year's. I, I don't think my family's ever going to forgive me for that one. Um, but yeah, okay, well, yeah, we'll start with that one. And then I, yeah. I can talk about the other ones. One's still pretty actively ongoing from this week. So I don't think I can say too much, but it is a, of course. It's a doozy. Um, but yeah, so um, 
we had uh, we we've obviously when, in CSA we have a, an incident a dedicated incident response team uh, that uh, we've got a Quest certified plan or the usual rubbish. But to be fair, like the guys are their experience within it is phenomenal. Uh, Scott and Mark are the team leaders there, and they they just absolutely annihilate like the, how they find this root cause stuff and how they can document. Like, it's beyond me, you know. Um, and so we get a call, uh, Boxing Day. Uh, nobody can log in. No, no systems are working for a particular company, you know, entirely like unresponsive. And we're like, oh, great. Classic, isn't it? You know, okay, jump in. So we, we form the team as we usually do. Okay, let's get some information. What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, let's, let's see if we can log in and, and see what's on the servers. Dark side ransomware everywhere. Like it would, it just ripped through this, this company's network. Um, like a little time later, we found out it happened on Christmas Day, like late Christmas Day, which is just classic anyway, isn't it? So um, we got indications late Christmas Day, and then obviously then it just pivoted into Boxing Day. But for that entire period, it took about two, three weeks to get the whole thing over in the end. But it was just totaled. Like every... Uh, VM was encrypted even at the data store level. Um, you had SQL servers, databases, sorry, like completely crippled. On site backups, great, isn't it? On site backups, can't, yeah, I can't believe we still do that, but yeah, like that was <laughs> that was a domain connected in. Um, you know, every server, uh, DCs, everything was down. So if you, you look into this, have you managed to find the cost of it? How did it get? Yeah, inside the company at the first. And again, place. this is a doozy as well because um, three months ago we dealt with we dealt with and we ended up dealing with like two of the biggest like dark side attacks in the UK, like over the from around September onwards from last year, and we dealt with another one from a, a retail company uh, around October time, and we investigated root cause. It's a VPN. Um, that had a vulnerability in that they leveraged, which basically just dumped the creds. Yep. Um, and from there, they were able to get in. And that initial foothold, those creds were domain joined. So it's kind of over at that point anyway. But um, they started, they ran a series of LDAP queries uh, from kind of a recon point of view. Uh, they had a little play around, see what was around. They had, um, oh, I can't remember the standard antivirus, basically. So they were, didn't have tamper protection involved or anything like that. Um, and they initially dropped a malicious package that was blocked by the antivirus. So that did trigger an alert. But because they had the domain creds at this point, they just turned it off. So that was like, that was just game over at that point. Um, used PS exec, obviously, um, from for distributing the malware, ripped out hundreds of gigabytes worth of, actually for these guys in october it was about 80 odd gigabytes worth of data exfiltrated all that out the vpn so that was in the logs as well um for that double extortion element again ransomware and everything up made sure that they deleted backups and all the usual stuff um and away they go you know and we were like wow you know like we we went to root cause for that fully documented it took about it took us about a week but in the process, and this would be something really interesting to talk to Mike about, we came across the dark side decryptor before it was publicly um, outed. Right. So we managed to get our hands on that. And we actually decrypted a fair chunk 
of what we were seeing. So we were like, okay, this is cool. You know, we started fielding it out to some of our friends that we know in the industry. We didn't want to make too much of a big deal because as we saw when it was actually kind of published, Darkside said, oh, thanks very much. We changed our keys. Yep. Um, that will no longer work, you know, so it is what it is there. But um, but yeah, so we had that one in October, came in on uh, Boxing Day for this for this big one, exactly the same. Same VPN, same vulnerabilities, TTPs, exactly the same. Like you could have literally just copy and pasted the report. I like hope that. not the same company again. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> that would I wouldn't have even taken the call at that point. I would have been like, my right, game over, mate. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, and that was on a bigger scale though, like because they took hundreds of gigabytes worth of uh, IP. Um, they encrypted the on-site backups. They encrypted everything, and even with this decryptor, we could do a certain amount, but there were still elements that that couldn't be decrypted or were perhaps corrupted. Because of the no offsite backups, restoration was bad. Like, and and you know what? And, and it got to the point where they were probably a hair's breadth away from uh, paying the ransom, which, which sat at that point at about two point four million. Um, and they engaged a, a negotiator and all the usual stuff that they do in that situation. And it was only because we managed to start getting some traction on the recovery through the SQL databases, through what we'd done already, that they backed out and said, no, no, okay, we'll, we'll take the gamble and see if we can get back up and running. And they did. But, wow, it was, <laughs> it was close. Question, um, did they have cyber insurance? They um, I believe they did because we had to, when obviously we're not partnered with those cyber insurers so when we submit a report we have to say what we've done the amount of work because then obviously it comes out of their pocket ultimately so they did have that but in terms of again same mo standard antivirus nobody's monitoring it right nobody's looking at these alerts so it's i think people see that insurance as that blanket of like yeah it's a cat don't worry we've got cyber insurance and I think we've there's been a lot of conversations on cyber insurance, um, you know, taking a turn in the future because, you know, they kind of came into it and I don't, they didn't know what they're doing, their insurance. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now that all of this ransomware is coming out and there's, you know, some, you know, conversation regarding whether or not, you know, the fact that it is being covered by ransom, uh, cyber insurance, is that actually increasing the ransomware? Um, so there's a lot of things that kind of go around that. That's why I was asking that question because I was yeah, it's a good point. Because Mike we, went through an incident not too long ago, um, and he was talking. You know, the, the cyber insurance people came in, and you know, they Im immediately want to you know justify like, okay, so how much before we, you know, pay the ransom or you know, it's because again, it's an insurance company. They want to make yeah, sure yeah. that they come out on the you know the better side of that. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, they, they pay they, as they, little they, as they can. Yep, exactly. Yeah, they look at it from a numbers game, isn't it? It's like, no. This is uh, people's lives, yeah. Yeah, like, it's, it's criminals, it's data. It's like it's not just like, oh, look, it's a sort code. It's no, there's someone's birth certificate, where they live, like their national insurance number, you know. Yeah. Um, we deal with quite a lot of NHS trusts. If one of them ever got hit, oh, my God, like it doesn't bear thinking. I mean, look at what happened with the Irish healthcare um service that, with, yeah with the whole health care that's i mean no. critical infrastructure health care this is not this is not about money this is about yeah, yeah yeah and they they don't they haven't quite figured that part out so um 
And it's funny that both of those things happen through a VPN because I actually work uh, at uh, AppGate and we do zero trust technology. And like a big part of that is kill the VPN because VPN yeah. technology is so old and it's got so many vulnerabilities at this point. In fact, Fortinet not too long ago had their own breach of their like their VPN, but they also are now doing you know zero trust technology. So um, it's I think kind of zero trust is yeah, it's definitely the way. It's definitely wising up. Like I think before, like and, and again, I haven't been in the industry that long, but when I first came into it and people were like talking about it, I mean maybe not right away, but it seemed more restricted than it needed to be. I think it jumped a long way in a very short amount of time. So it's a much more viable solution mm. than what people are seeing. Because like you say, like if it's not vulnerabilities, it's compromised credentials. If it's not them, it's lack of MFA. You know, like there's so many caveats. Right. Well, lack of MFA is how the, what is it, Olympus, Olympia, the Japanese or Korean company that been literally breached three days ago. Um, so apparently it started because one of their employees didn't have um, multi-factor authentication yeah. and that's it. And they got it like that, which may, which kind of on one side, that means they actually tried. The company did implement it. It's just how much. And to be fair, we face same issues with the companies that we work with. Oh, and it's exactly okay. the question, because when you implement MFA, you have two options there. Uh, well, if you, we use Microsoft products, uh, so you yeah. have two options there. You can either enforce it fully, which means person cannot actually do anything until he actually activates it, or mm. you just give them an option to say, like, can you do it? If you don't want to, you just carry on with life. Uh, but on the report, it's still going to show that we kind of tried MFA. So mm. here's the question as well. You know, it's kind of you have to think about, can you force someone to do something, you know, because... Uh, to make your company policy and we don't see a lot of companies for some reason actually enforcing it they're just saying yeah. it we're giving them as an option but it shouldn't uh, be as an option yeah, yeah. i mean case in point the, the ones we dealt with this week like three out of the four of them could have been sold with just mfa you know and and i, I understand people say that listen war is going to have that kind of service slash kind of security operations where like okay we don't want to impact service too much you know i watched a chris roberts uh, interview that you guys did the other week and like he was talking about you know like we're in the nhs trust and there's a number of critical systems that like cannot be touched you know and he said about patching and like well patching isn't the go-to but ring fencing could be or you know at least mitigating the risk there and then you can go from there um but we see it where, like, if you could just, and, and we have the same thing, we do patch management for a number of NHS trusts, you know, and we jump on calls. And the, the IT department get it. The IT department are like, listen, if you have to reboot devices and inconvenience them, not critical systems, obviously, we're not mental, but, um, like, if, if you just need to reboot um, someone's laptop or someone's desktop or whatever out of hours, it needs to be done. You know, and they have users complain to them and it's the whole thing about, oh, I can't do my job. And it's like, well, right, how are we going to balance this? And you can't do your job because you're inconvenienced for 10 minutes because the latest cumulative updates and story. Or, you know... You will lose your job. Yeah. You will cause nightmares going to come for you or some other weird and wonderful thing, you know. I know we had the uh, MS HTML one recently, which is packed in the September cumulative update. So it's like, okay, we'll get that in. And they're like, no, no, I need to do my job. And it's like, you are going to get done over soon. (laughs) And if it turns out, it's because, 
you, you know, you didn't simply restart your machine. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with MFA. You see the exact same thing. You know, oh, what about the downtime? The downtime, it's it's negligible. Like, phase it in, it's structure it. You know, it's fine. But don't don't say, or we see people who, um, like, leave it in reporting mode. And you're like, well, okay, how long are you going to leave it in reporting mode until you actually turn it on? <laughs> because reporting mode, unless you're monitoring it, which they never are so it, it doesn't matter it's not going to do anything like please for the love of god just turn it on and, and if you do turn it on don't use like weak and like elements of mfa like you know um with office 365 um like you've got like the one where it, i didn't realize until this the other day when we dealt with another <laughs> instant response where if you get the uh, the mobile phone authentication where it calls you um you literally just have to press hash and it'll let them in yeah. Like it calls you and then you go, is this you? And then you press hash and then it lets them in. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like, what's that like a viable authenticate? And then obviously we're like, okay, you need to go to like a, a one-time code and all the usual stuff and, and, and it's all good there. But yeah, I, yeah, I always think all. like it, when we have those conversations, it's all about like, it, do you want the minor inconvenience now to know that you just reduce a massive attack fit surface on your organization? Or do you want to just keep putting up with it and then eventually you're going to have to, you'll be in the papers or, you know. Lose your business completely. Uh, yeah. That's a Reputational damage. Like how do they not see reputational damage as like this huge thing? They think ransomware and think ransom. I mean, that's part of it. And like obviously with leak sites, it's going to, your data is going to be out there. But the reputational damage against you is huge. And nine times out of 10 as well, the, the tabloids that we see some, like off the back of incident responses who then become our customers but when we see them in the papers they always get it wrong like the tabloids always get it wrong like they'll blame the the clients when it's actually the client's third party and or the third party it needs a supply chain element you know and you're just like come on man yeah i really don't think that this world uh truly understands the interconnectedness of all of the different apps and the APIs and all of yeah. the different things that go, I mean, it's a giant spider web and they're just like, but it's on my phone. It's safe. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, it's not my laptop. And it's like, come on. Yeah. I'm the crazy lady in the grocery store and airport lines, like talking about like, just check your stuff, complicated passwords, like just try. Okay. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> it is. It's terrible, isn't it? You kind of feel like you want to, you want to shake them, but like it, and, and the biggest thing I learned was when we're on these conversations and, and we talk to people about security, I kind of, what I did in the talk when the Alex saw at the conference, you know, we have this like roadmap to maturity and, and we say like at, at the start, it's just standard AV, a security posture assessment for gap analysis, just figure out what's going on, you know, uh, MFA. Uh, cyber essentials not even plus at this point just get anything that these raises your awareness blah 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 and then we can worry about the big stuff then we can worry about uh, visibility with seams edr solutions patch management and and all you know like a a more verbose kind of posture there you know and and that's fine but it's so frustrating to just be like you're not even doing this small stuff you know like just usually the smaller stuff it is it's you know like now the bc compromises those can be a little bit tricky i mean i know there's a lot of user training in that but they have gotten very very complicated like some of these you know they're they're very targeted right so and we know Mm -hmm. that in the industry we know that 
but the general public still hasn't, to, in my opinion, really caught on to how how much that is, right? So yeah. they don't, you know, it's still a, a user, you know, we're, we're teaching users. We can't blame people because, you know, they're only hearing of it after the fact. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think what, for me, one of my goals in this industry is to try to help the common user in the world understand why it's important. Cause they go, I don't have anything to lose. I don't have this, I don't have much money. And I'm like, do you have money? Do you have anything? Yeah. You Do you have a car? I'm like, so, an identity. You know. I'm like, do you have an identity? I yeah. said, so what happens if you actually, even if you had bad credit, but what if you like had bad credit and then all of a sudden you left and went to another apartment and you found out that you've been evicted four times from some other place and have like $17,000 of debt. You had nothing before. Guess what? Now you have, now you have to prove you yeah. are who you are. And not only that, you can't get into an apartment because you've already rented four other apartments and been evicted from it. Like you have to kind of, like, I want to be able to like use that. So put it like in there. shock tactics, isn't it? It's like, listen, this is, this is what could realistically happen to you. I'm not, and I'm like, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but do these little simple things from yeah, home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you reduce this, it at least. And you, that's all I'm asking. Yeah. And I just, I'm like, that's like worst case scenario, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, you know, like if, that's where I think our our conversation on the the technical to the general public is missing a little bit, you know, because there's a disconnect. There it's is definitely, definitely disconnect, it's, but know. at least it's becoming a little bit better. You know, it's on the news. I'm traveling. I mean, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I, I bet you hit the nail on the head where because it's so much more prevalent in the news now. I think people are wising up to it a lot more. You know, and it's not us trying to convince people. Like we say, you know, it's not a question of of if; it's a question of when. Right. You know, you just have to be, and let's face it, the dirty secret within, or the you know, within infosec is that you just have to be better than the person they're going to attack next. You know, so as long as you have, if you make that paradigm of pain for them that little bit harder, so it's unless they're really targeting you, obviously. Um, right. But like you know, you you make sure that you you've patched on your bloody VPN firewall, you know, like, and you make sure that you've got MFA enabled, they get bored and just go off to someone else. And, you know, here's, here's the argument, right? I think, um, I think one of our guests, I think it might have been Rob Fuller um, or someone, they they actually made a really good point in terms of how much can we blame those users? Right, and let's say we have a huge huge company, right? I mean, in the end of the day, it's our responsibility as cybersecurity people who work there um, to kind of make sure that even if they click somewhere because they don't know about it and they're tired or something, you know, um, nothing should happen to them, you know? Because I think, uh, especially when you compare it to the other jobs, right? As somebody compared to like engineer of the car, right? I said, like th- those people who fix your car, they're not really like sitting there and being angry at you because you don't know how to fix your own engine or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Uh, so... no, yeah, I totally agree. And it's, it, you can't blame those, but it's not their job. Like it's not their vocation. It's not their passion. You know, we live and breathe this stuff and, and we love it. So we know about it and we know, like you say, like if it's a mechanic or something, they know what they're doing there. You've got to trust those people, you know, and I think there's an element of trust there as well. Um, but you can't blame the user, you know. You can't, like, if they click on a link, it, because if you blame that user as well, and action is taken against them, so within the organisation, then you inspire a culture of fear where if the, you want that culture where they if they click on the link, maybe they enter credential, but they go, oh, God, okay, 
I shouldn't have done that. I'm going to raise it to my IT manager who's going to raise it to my, uh, you know, security team or, you know, you might have an, an internal one and blah, blah, blah. And we can, we can get on the, on the crack. But the, the people who should be held accountable realistically are the, at the board level, you know, like they're the people who make these decisions. And if they don't see the value in having a, a, an information security kind of a good posture within that realm, then those are the people that ultimately are going to are going to copy it, you know. What I'm uh, witnessing is a lot of because usually, because I work in consultancy for cybersecurity, right? So we deal with yeah. a lot of IT people from that company. We just have a better knowledge and of what to do, right? But and a lot of the times we hear situation where they basically say, "Oh, like this is amazing. We would love to do this and apply. Can you help us?" And then it ends up being, "Well, we have to take it to the board, and we don't know whether CEO and then will agree to this." You know. So, do you think there is this problem where, like? CISO people and basically all the heads that are in charge of IT, no matter what their position is, maybe they're chief of information security, right? But mm. they still don't feel like they have this power and responsibility because it shouldn't be a situation where like the head of your IT and security should be worried because to take it to your, yeah. to his boss and be like, well, I'm not sure whether he's going to like it or accept it, you know? Um, I don't see that happening with other departments, you know, imagine like head of your financial goes and he worries about like something is wrong. No, he just goes because he knows this is important. He sorts it out, doesn't he? Yeah. 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 So the information, chief of your information security shouldn't be worried to take it to your CEO and he should be like, I'm taking it because this is happening, you know, because I'm the head of the AT and security. But I don't see that culture is happening yet. Well, I don't know about US, but definitely not in UK. They still feel like they're under pressure and they're below everybody. Well, they are. And I can personally tell you a couple of stories of how things relate because I used to do accounting and I was constantly told, and this is the same thing that happens with security, okay? And CISOs, they are given a budget. And if they go over that budget, no matter what the need is, they, you know, they and they get told, you know what, but you don't make us money. Yeah, that's it that's the bang on yeah, yeah i'm like yeah. if i didn't do the accounting and i didn't invoice <laughs> and i didn't take the money and put it into the bank you wouldn't have the money yeah, and the same yeah, thing yeah. with security when you get breached and that 2.4 million comes out of your bank account you don't have that money either okay yeah, let's yeah. talk facts but until that changes you're absolutely right like until that concept changes and it's yes of course money runs business but right now it's more we need to think of a, like holistically, we all make money, but they look yeah. at certain departments higher because they bring in higher amounts of money. And I'm, I'm like, let me do your, let, no, don't get me started. No. <laughs> it doesn't wind you up though, doesn't it? Because like, oh, yeah, I, I just, I'm like, it's, it's a, and I feel bad because CISOs consistently are being fired yeah. because they yeah, yeah, yeah. not do something that they were asking to do because the board or money stopped it and then they're held responsible for it. And I mean, I've had to stand my ground back because I also did a lot of HR as well. And a lot of laws, like I would, there were laws that were, I was held responsible personally, my house could be taken. And it's very clear in the laws. If certain things like W9s aren't signed correctly and turned in by certain times, like if now, again, it's like a security thing. If that happens, I've been told by more than one C-suite person, 
oh, don't worry about it. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> you know, I am, you hired me to do a job. Yeah, if you yeah. don't want me to do your, do this job correctly, I'm happy to leave. Yeah. But you hired me to do a job. I'm telling you what is required and I'm not going to lose my house for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm not going to go to jail for you, you know? And that's, you know, I mean, not everybody is willing to do that, yeah. you know? And, you know, it's, yeah, I don't know. No, I think, I think you're bang on, especially with the, like the CISO's head is always on the chopping block. Yep. First, first instant response or like compromise if I had, it's that guy's fault or it's that person's fault, you know? And it's just like, that is clear. That is nine times out of 10. That is not the case. You know, like you denied his, you denied their budget for God knows how long they wanted to bring in cloud app security. So they've got a, a response around email. You know, they wanted to bring in that visibility. They wanted to bring in a security team. And you said, no, 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 because it's a, it's a money sink and all the rest of it. And why are we paying for the security and we're not getting anything out of it? Well, when it does happen, trust me, you'll see the value when we've just saved you from a ransomware attack. We just saved you from a business email compromise, you know, and, and not even just us. Like, I'm not touting it from an MSSP point of view. I'm just saying, like, any, anything, like, you know, uh, wait, proper winds me up as well. <laughs> because, like, those are the people, like, you, you the, C, the CISO... And like Alex said, like they should be empowered to make their own decisions, like throughout the throughout the stage. They should be able to say, this is something, and from a gap analysis point of view, you know, we've got this big hole around email security. This is what I want to bring in. This is what I'm going to bring in. And this is extra money that I need, budget be damned, you know. And that's that's okay, you know, but I, I mean, I've never seen that. So I don't know if you guys have, but I've never seen I've never seen a, uh, someone do that. It always has to be signed off by a board. There always has to be a business case behind it. And it's like, well, the business case is we won't get absolutely annihilated when they come for us. <laughs> you know, like, um, but yeah. So, the, so to go back a little bit to ransomware, because I still got some questions about it. Um, so you mentioned when you were dealing... Um, with the previous ransomware, they had to invite invest uh, negotiators, is what they call them right now. Yeah. And obviously, there is yeah. always a question regarding to pay or not to pay. So, what's your yeah. opinion on both of those things? Well, first of all, whether a company should pay or no, um, <laughs> and at what point maybe you kind of forced to pay, you know. Um, and mm. the other one is obviously there is this big argument right now about so-called negotiators such a new job being created, you know, um, yeah, yeah. whether what well, we had like. There is a, some like, special negotiator who knows how to deal with the ransom people. You know, it's not like they're it's not like they're sitting there and you got some psychology to put in it. They're quite straightforward what they want to. Can you really yeah, negotiate something like that? Because it's quite a different area of negotiation. There's a lot of people saying like this is just made up job, which shouldn't be like that. If you have a mindset of not paying, then should there really be a negotiator in the first place? Yeah. So yeah. And plus the, the negotiator thing, like I saw them do their work and they literally just type in like would you accept just a million? Well, I could do that. <laughs> like, like, exactly, yeah. I'm not a qualified negotiator, but I'm pretty sure I could, if, it, if all it is is just hammering them down on price, I'm pretty sure I could give it a crack. You know, like, I don't <laughs> I don't see it as a, as a viable kind of, we need to bring in this specialist. If it was a hostage negotiation, which I suppose it is in a way because it's data, but, like, you know, it's one of them. But in terms of obviously paying the ransom, from a, I, I don't think I could ever say in good conscience that they should pay the ransom because it is what it is there. But at the end of the day, should I be making that decision for an organization that like the one over Christmas, 
they were at that point because they had no options. Like it was pay the ransom and potentially get our data back and, and or the, you know, get the decryptor so they can potentially get their data back. Um, and which we saw a hefty amount of corruption in their like in some of their data as well. So it's not as if like you're getting back. You can't, you can't guarantee the return. Exactly. Yeah. Like you don't know if it's actually going to work. You know? exactly. So there's that question anyway. Um, but I, I, I would never, I'd never want to be in a position where I'd, I'd have to make that decision. But for me, I always say like, you, you shouldn't pay these people because well, realistically, okay. You might be able to get a, an element of service back there and, and that, that could be okay. But they've still got your data just because they're not leaking it online doesn't mean they're not packaging it and going through back channels or they'll just leak it. I mean, they don't tend to leak it anyway because it's a best business model for them and for them it is a business. So it's, it's fair enough. But yeah, it's, it's a it tough one. On, it? it depends on how, like, when you talk about criminal minds, like, depending on their, you know, the cause of why they're doing it, if they're doing it for money, yeah. you know business model or not like they don't have to give you the encryptor they can you can pay and they can disappear and then like that's it but the thing about the negotiation that scares me the most is that at some point they're going to figure out the same you know equations that the negotiators use and so ransomware people will start building malware and things to say okay if i want x amount of dollars from the negotiator i need to go to a company this size i need to do this 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 and yeah. i only i ask for 2.3 million i know i get it but if i ask for 2.4 i know i want well yeah. if we continue on this path where we're not that's what i fear because people until people are paying attention because obviously they're not stupid you know like Although this, the ransomware as a service is also causing a whole different thing as well, because yes. now we have people that aren't even that, you know, you know. They have affiliate programs now, don't they? They're like They literally, they look at this as a model where they can offer tech support for people. Who yeah. Can, yeah. You and know. So with that, I mean, anybody is, you know, t- potentially has access to, to these, again, back to the, has t- access to tools if they want to do harm. And they don't have any, you know, what's to say that that doesn't cause other issues with the negotiations because whatever. Yeah, because yeah, you're dealing with different people. I mean, we looked at it like the same the same companies, one of them made more than the other one. So, and that was reflected in the ransom. So the two dark side attacks we had, one was they started off at 900,000 for the one in October. They started off at 1.4 million for the one in December. You know, and it's like, you've clearly done your research. You've clearly looked into this and know this company is worth more than this company. I know I can extort them for more, right. you know, and you just think well, it's, it's only going to get worse. The BEC, which they didn't in that case, but if they're doing like the, the BEC compromise, I mean, they've obviously done their, you know, research on that because mm. they're specifically targeting, you know, so it's, uh, it's very interesting to see what will happen. Um, B- yeah, obviously I mean, there is there is obviously an evolution, and this is something we obviously as well we spoke with a lot of guests that we see there is a development and evolution of ransomware, right? And from your perspective, right, when you dealt with that situation back in during that Christmas time Boxing Day, and mm-hmm. the ones you were dealing with last week, for example, mm-hmm. have you seen anything different in a way? Um, maybe you used a different method of how they access. Well, in different different TTPs. Um, there always seems to be like I don't see as much as a 
it, it always seems to be external facing servers that they use as that initial pivoting point and then they, they move into the network. And um, for example, we have one that was a, a web server. It was like an externally facing web server that hosted a, a certain site for the organization. A, a plugin within that server was compromised as part of the, the uh, IAS service. And they were able to upload packages from there. And then that was their initial ingress point. So you always see different TTPs and, and we, we, we map those and then turn them into detect and respond rules, which is great for us because then we protect all our clients. And, you know, nine times out of 10, some of the TTPs are similar in terms of the tactics, techniques and procedures. So like, you know, they'll always go after value shadow copy. They're always run certain commands, like the LDAP commands, like I was saying, you tend to see that quite often in terms of recon. Um, but in terms of, from an evolution point of view, for me more than anything, it's got slicker. It is so, like, it's not just script kiddies in the basement, classic kind of, it, it is organized gangs that are, are weaponizing this stuff. And then they, because they know the paydays there, we only see, I bet you we scratch the surface of what we see publicly disclosed. How many companies have paid and just not said anything? Yeah, you know, definitely. Um, you know, it's it's one of them. And I just to just to look back on the business email compromise, that's just as bad. You know, like we're seeing areas there where I had one business, this was it's probably about a year and a half ago now, so just before I joined CyberCard. Um, in the space of three emails, someone had transferred half a million pounds, like just off the back of three emails, you know, and it was because they compromised one account, sat on it. And then just read all of the information coming in. And when they were ready to kind of inseminate their, their bits, their, you know, oh, by the way, it was, a, it was a land deal. And they were like, oh, by the way, uh, the, account, the account figures have changed. Just check with your boss. And then, <laughs> I mean, it, was, it wasn't super sophisticated because when she checked with her boss, it, who was looped in on the email, of course, it was a Gmail account. With just his name on, <laughs> and I was a bit like, okay, probably could have spotted that, but like, um, <laughs> but you know, the fact that they sat there and they basically um, they just chimed in at the right moment. You know, it's not a case of, it, you know, we we're dealing with ones this week where they sent out um, hundreds of thousands of phishing emails from a single location. You know, and and that's one element, but it's all about action on objectives, isn't it? It's all about what they want to accomplish, and for these people who just sat there quietly. That was their, they, they made half a million in free emails. I mean, the only thing standing between me doing that is my ethical compass. So, like, it's, you know, it's crazy. Well, and but they you know, say that the typical um, hacker or like attack may sit approximately 100. It, I don't know if this has changed, but it was like 180 something days before yeah. making a move. It has sped up, I believe. But, but um, again, it depends, doesn't it? You know, like it depends what they want to do. But I've seen them in there for like six months easy. Yeah. And they and they will literally just creep around. We've seen ones that have like registered domains in their Office 365 area so that um they can basically use it as a, a like a, a a domain, like a phishing campaign jumping off point that okay. looks legitimate. Yep. Um, which was a which is a very, very interesting one. But, you know, um, when I was, we we're mentioning all these numbers, right? And it sounds ridiculous. Like somebody just transferred like half a million, few millions, yeah. five millions. But um, when I was studying for GDPR compliance, so I hope 
in America, there's something similar, right? Uh, data protection, the European Union came out with this whole thing, how should your data be protected? Um, and when you see on their fines, so the fine, is, the fine structure is uh, as simple as, they either gonna fine you 20 million euros or 4% of your annual revenue. Yeah. Um, so they choose with whichever is bigger, right? And um, when I was studying for that, they, uh, somebody pulled up, and it's actually public information. Per year, they basically publish all the fines, so they actually basically name shame you. So they put this company actually being charged this amount of money, and the numbers. I promise you, I think on the first two years, the total fines reached uh, a thing like a billion, billion, <laughs> a billion euros accumulated. So when you think about it, and it's and nobody's talking about it, you know, like European Union mm -hmm. just collected a billion pounds, of, I mean, billion euros from fines of GDPR, but nobody's, but nobody's saying like, oh, nobody's Ni Nike, <laughs> Nike just paid like, because it doesn't even go below 20 million. It starts at 20 million, as you can imagine, because they will never <laughs> yeah, choose yeah, 4% yeah. of your revenue if it's smaller than 20 million. So <laughs> the fines are so big and that's a relic. The government actually making more money is, is would would that be considered something like they kind of hold your ransom like that? Because yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but the GDPR itself on its own collected probably like a, a billion euros already since it's been started in 2016, I believe they initiated it. And the names oh. and it's all the big companies there. It's public knowledge. Yeah. You can go, you can Google it, they will see every single how much every single company paid. So Alex, the only problem that I see with that is that like all other companies, if you fall in the zero to 50, the 51 to 100 range of employees versus what these companies are dealing with, 4% of their annual revenue, if, it, if they're talking about net versus gross, I mean, look at like how many times Amazon, uh, Microsoft, Facebook have been yeah. fine, these amazing amount, it's a drop in the bucket yeah at one point I, yeah. I don't know what the the actual amount was but zuckerberg had you know he was making or no i'm sorry it was gates and it, it was just some like ridiculous amount of money per second like we oh, don't yeah. even we can't comprehend yeah. that kind of money coming in per second and it's you know it just blew my mind and you know so for them like four percent like yeah that sucked this year but the, question is, but the question is, do we know where this money after utilized, right? Because we, we know that, like, let's say GDPR collected 1 billion in fines for the past two yeah. years. But A, first of all, there is nothing on the news to say this company just breached your data, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're not applying the same technique on a much smaller rule. Ransomware, it's all over newspapers every single time. Yeah. Um, but not data breaches. Um, nobody mad, actually questions where the money go to after and spends to. Um, yeah. I'm pretty They're sure there, 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 is some, there is something <laughs> in the back law, but still. So we don't have the GDPR here in the United States. I know that California and actually Colorado have both implemented very similar uh, like type laws um, that are very, you know, follow. Um, Colorado is in the works of it, but California has definitely implemented it. Um, however, that being said, um, yeah, what's going on with that money? That would be good for you to find out because it's probably like what we have the lottery here. And so when they brought the lottery out, they're like, 
do it because of the kids. Think of the kids. It's going to education. <laughs> and guess what? Like our school systems are falling apart. Where lottery <laughs> is, like, I want to know where all that money is going. Nobody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much. You know, again, going back to my accounting brain, I'm just like, yeah, things don't add up. Mm-hmm. Don't add up. Does it? <laughs> Like you say, is, that, is it an effective deterrent, like, or is it an inconvenience for these big companies? You know, it's, they get fine those those big figures, and for us, like, we look at that and it's, in, it's insurmountable. But for them, it's like, oh, that's a that's a pain. Oh, okay, let's move on. You know, and I just think it. it, it when it first came out, I thought, yeah, this is going to rock companies. Like, they, this is going to get them on the back foot. No. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> I don't see, or unless unless you guys see it, but I don't see anyone else doing anything. Well, I don't know personally any company that actually got fined, but when you actually look at the list, it looks like they just go for a very big companies that they know they can easily yeah, catch. Because yeah, yeah. um, I'm pretty sure they're not going to go for a small company because they can't really take 20 million and 4% yeah. is and they, not going to really make yeah, a difference not, from them. You know, they're not monsters. Like they, you, you when when you submit this kind of these breaches and compromises to the ICF, they do help. Like they're not. Not there to just wag the wag the finger and say, "Oh, you should have done better." You know, like don't get me wrong. If you've done really bad and you've got nothing in place and, and you're, getting, you're getting popped every two weeks, like I'm sure they'll have something to say. But like, I want to say it's a it's a, a at least in the right direction how it's being oh. handled. Like not how it's being handled, but I know from people in the security industry, the compliance like has gone overboard so they're so busy worried about how to check (laughs) check boxes off for compliance yeah they can't actually get the other stuff done but that goes back to some of like i've i work with enterprise corporations um and it's amazing to you know find out that a an enterprise corporation has like just a couple of red teamers you know maybe they have like a very blue big blue team but like there's the way it's levied you know it's it's very interesting because they don't want to put a lot of money into the security program again going back back, doesn't it yeah yeah yeah. it all circles back so and it's like well you want us to be compliant we've got to do this we're ticking off boxes we can't you know can't do this can't do that you know so i know that's very frustrating for the people that are actually like you know chris roberts and mike you know the compliance Mm -hmm. issue the tick boxing you know like you said you know like tick marks, you know, like it's just, you can't, I know that's a very frustrating like aspect. Oh, I get it. You know, like it, and, and it, the moment it becomes a tick box exercise anyway, it's useless. What's the point? You know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not going to follow, it's like ISO. I, we, we, we're pretty heavy in like ISO 27001, like auditing and, and getting people ready to be badged. But like, if you go into a company and there's no buy-in, they don't want to use the policies. They don't want to create this ISMS and then actually use it to better their posture. What's the point? It becomes, a, it's just a tick box exercise so they can get a, a government contract or so they can look better in the eyes of their organization or, or their peers, you know, and it's just like, nah, just don't worry about it. Like, if that's how you're going to use it, don't even bother, you know. Speaking on frameworks, so you said you deal a lot with ISO. Do you, um, are you familiar with the MITRE ATT&CK framework or like, is there, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like going, you know, as far as frameworks, I mean, do you have any, you know, insight on that? Like, you know, what you're seeing as far as trends in the UK and, and because of ransomware, is it, you know, anything on? Like- we tend to, we tend to try and map certain elements in from a scene source solution element. 
um, so that we can kind of see a multi-stage attack, you know, with the, the, the different kind of adjuncts with uh, the MITRE attack frameworks. Recently got into the, you know, have you seen the Defend framework as well? Yep. Uh, yeah, that looks wicked, to be fair. Yeah. So it's really <laughs> nice that they're kind of putting those together. Um, in terms of what we tend to see, it's kind of like what's flavour of the week sometimes. Right. You know, like sometimes you see a lot of it, like um, with the Hafium Exchange stuff, um going, going back to march now oh my god it's like armageddon for us when that kicked off you know because the amount of clients who were getting popped and we were having to create detection rules and it was always the same kind of uh, dll injection you know like just constant go again and again and again you know and um and and that was that particular moment but sometimes you see uh, nine times out of ten you see that kind of ps exec usage you know, just ripping through the network or use of remote tools, or like we said about the VPN kind of compromised credentials. Mm. I, I, those are what I tend to see more than anything else. But I say that now, probably a month a month later, <laughs> there'll, there'll be something new, weird and wonderful, you know. That, that's kind of how it goes. But we do try and map to that as much as possible when we come to, we, we, you know, like I think it's very easy for an MSSP to kind of fall into the rhythm of create a few detection rules, pick up on some stuff, throw loads of alerts at the customer because oh look how much value you see look how much we're doing yeah. for it i hate that mentality yeah. disgust me from an mssp point of view you know like we should be acting as that buffer to send you high confidence verified alerts you know uh, to your it team so you can act on them and or you know if we've got that response element we'll act upon your behalf and then turn it into an after action report you know but um when it comes to you know, look investigating those uh, those TTPs, for example, and what we can do there. I see so many people who are just lackadaisical about it. Like, that you need to say it's a it's a game for us. You know, like we have to be at the forefront as much as possible. So when the new variants come out, and I I can see that um, Gabriel's put like a, a pretty cool. Uh, Twitter link that I'm going to follow in a bit as well um, but like you know like common CVs for ransomware and what are they leveraging at the moment it's always going to change but if we can at least stay ahead of the curve and, and map this to the, the attack matrix in terms of what we're seeing great can't you find know. that pattern start to see those, those yeah that, yeah that's what yeah. interests me the most now um like I really think because of my accounting background I really like seeing patterns of things right so mm. Um, and that's how you can, you can almost, it's almost to me like a signature, right? Like that's why you write signatures, you know, on like threat research, right? Cause it is, you, you see a certain pattern through yeah. and it's, re, you know, repetitive. You're like, oh, it's, I mean, like, oh, that's, you know, X, Y, Z. And it's, you know, we need to do that. We, like you said, to stay ahead of those things. So, yeah, um, no, definitely. You know, I think it is definitely and in, in, in like, yeah, I think there is like, uh, obviously that's, a lot of what blue team do in that having that analytical mind where they can go, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to follow these events. There's no single event to an attack, you know, like you don't just look at one thing and go, Oh yeah, I understand that. You know, you, you establish the root cause, you go through kind of surrounding events, you know, and, and you kind of make up this, you map this story in your mind and then you know what's going on. And that's where the experience comes in. You know, like we talk about, um, just to pivot a little bit, you know, we talk about training for these new juniors and stuff like that. Like, well, okay, we can get them into certifications or accreditations and, and that's okay. But that real world experience, gaining that knowledge and that kind of connect the dots analytical mind, that's probably why it's so hard for people to get into our industry. Because that's, if you're going into the blue team, for me, that's pivotal, you know. Um, 
and, and to identify that in people. Some people are very good at assessing, um, you know, potential candidates for that sort of mindset. And we talked about that ambition and drive as well, you know, and, and some people aren't. And if they aren't and you fill your team with people who may not be right for that role or be able to handle that that level of pressure and, and work, you're going to yeah. run into it. You know. I mean, how do you see um, for your, your specific company, how, like, how is the hiring trends with that? Like, I mean, are you seeing a lot of, you know, people with degrees that don't have the knowledge or are you seeing a lot of certifications come in? I mean, you know, what are you seeing as the trend in U- the UK? <laughs> we tend to see, um, I, or myself, you know, speaking from personal experience, I see people who have either just finished college or, or finished uni and they want to get into the industry. But for me, like I said, with my degree, great as a foundation, actually coming into it, like I had a really steep learning curve, you know, and, and looking back now, I would have loved to have done like a sandwich year or an apprenticeship or, or something that gave me hands-on experience, uh, which I think is just absolutely vital. So for me, and that's why I ended up, um, you know, you, you talk about Mike, like uh, mentoring. We, we've recently got into that and I started mentoring with my old university, you know, and we started in trying to feel people in and saying like, because they came to us and said, oh, you know, how do I get a job in cybersecurity? And it's like such a broad question. It's like, you know, that's fair enough. But but you've got to sell yourself on your CV. Like you, you can't just say, oh, I like computers and I've got a degree. Like that's, that, I've, you know, you get 90 applications in a day. You need something better. You know, you need to be like, um, I'm a member of these communities. Like I listen to these podcasts, you know, cheeky little plug there for you, but you know, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but like, you know, I follow, I follow the InfoSec news. I'm, I'm members of like local groups. There's so many local groups knocking about now. Like, right. you know, I'm sure there's a few even in Worcester where I'm based, you know, it's, it, it's the way it goes. Or um, I've, I've taken part in these CTFs. I've taken part in these, these classrooms, try hack me, Udemy, you know, there's, uh, immersive labs is a really good one you know and it's just knowing that people have gone that extra mile and and if they've gone that extra mile you know chances are they're going to go that extra mile in the job as well you know but it's it's difficult to really yeah know. i think um we've talked about this um in the past but talking more like a, about the apprenticeships like, i know in several like here in the united states like high school a lot of kids had a work you know work program so they could work you know do the core classes and then they could leave and then go basically do, you know, hands-on apprenticeship, like, but it was for mechanics or very, you know, hand, you know, yeah, more yeah. industrial type, you know, stuff. And we were talking about it, like that really needs to happen in this, this industry, right? Mm-hmm. Because kids are, I mean, on, you know, phones as babies, right? The digital natives, you know, like they're, you know, born with a computer in their hand. So the amount of stuff that they're going to be able to do in the future is going to be way more. However, that being said, like security is its own animal. And again, going back to teaching, you know, the, the moral ethics of like, why, Hey, yeah, just because you have a nuclear bomb doesn't mean you get to drop it anytime you want. Right. Like you have to understand why you're doing what you're doing for what purpose don't use it for, you can't use it for, X, Y, or Z, because I think we're leaving out those ethics when, you know. We're... Ethics are a huge part of it. We did um, a company I used to, the, the company I was with before was CyberGuard. We did, um, like, uh, we were partnered with the NCSC to bring in a new generation of, um, you know, like teenagers anywhere from like uh, 14 to 18, so sixth form, which is kind of an alternative to college. 
in the UK. And we brought them in in classrooms, like 25, 30 people. And we'd show them um, how to uh, scan for Wi-Fi, then how to um, just sit there and capture uh, keys to then crack those codes and then get into that Wi-Fi and then and then jam that Wi-Fi using open source tools. And you can see where this is going. So, like, <laughs> so we, we taught them all this wonderful for, for stuff. For the ethical part. Yeah, we, and then we were like, right, okay, we seriously need to, like, really plug the effort. Very early on, obviously, when we did a few pilot ones, we were like, the, the kids are like or teenagers, you know, they're going absolutely crazy for this stuff. And that's great. And we're seeing a lot of ambition. But how far is it going to be until one of these people does this for real and gets in serious trouble? Right. So then we we added another component, another element in terms of the ethics. And, and we actually, um, a good mate of mine, Cam, um, he, uh, when he was 14, he ended up DDoSing SeaWorld for like, 1.4 million and then cost them like a hefty amount I'll, I'll give you his number to be fair you can um you can <laughs> shout just uh just if you need anything sorted no i'm in a joke um but he, he um he he was very close uh like he was very close to getting extradited to the u.s at one point um but he, you know he learned his lesson he did it as a laugh and all the usual stuff and he saw it as a game so we started getting cam in to talk to the classes to say you know this may be fun but look at all of this stuff i went through look at and, and it's not just like the obviously the jail i went to quite he didn't go to jail he, he you know he ended up uh managing to avoid that and then, then the nca ended up getting him into an apprenticeship which was great you know and, and then his life kicked off into the into the info set which is what we should be doing you know um but we got him in to talk about that, to talk about how much of a stress it was on his family, to talk about all of that. Sort of, and that kind of sombered him down a little bit to say, this stuff is really cool. But please, it, is, it is illegal if you do it outside this room, pretty much is what we were saying. you know. Yeah, times. and actually that's exactly what Mike speaks on. That's exactly why he's doing what he's doing. I mean, he, he talks about you know, all of the things he did. Yeah. Like there's some cool stories yeah, in there yeah, sure. and it's, you know, like, Hey, that's cool. But Hey, by the way, you've got to, you don't remember all the years I was on the run. I couldn't go home to my family. Yeah. I had no way to do X, Y, and Z. And that's why, you know, he gets paid to talk and he's mentoring at the Met, you know, like, yeah. yeah. And that's what we need, you know, and that's if people don't rise up like to getting people like Mike and getting people like Cam in. They need a real life example. Yeah, 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 real life examples. And for us as, as, you know, me as a head of, me as a leader, the boards, all of that sort of stuff, why is it not that we need to get serious about this as well? And we need to engage with these people and give them opportunities. You know, we're just making a rod for our own back because they'll just, they'll end up smashing one of my clients in a couple of years if we don't have, you know, if we don't steer <laughs> them in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Another topic I wanted to cover is obviously mental health, and you did mention that anyway. So I think the question for you, Sean, is um, how do you deal with the burnouts, long hours, and general mental health? And obviously, Maybe drinking. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, don't, don't take that as gospel. <laughs> and, and 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 then obviously not just you, but what do you implement in your company for your staff? Yeah. So, yeah, it's a huge one for me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for addressing mental health in our industry because, well, it, my wife's doing a PhD in, in uh, behavioural psychology. 
is it clinical? She's going to kill me if she sees this. And I've gone. <laughs> but she obviously talks about it a lot and, and I kind of bat ideas off her because of, like I was talking about, the stress, the burnout, the, um, the imposter syndrome, the, the, just the general toll it takes on all of us, you know. And I'm not saying we've got like the worst job in the world, but it's certainly high stress, you know. Um, so for us, it's all about... You know, it's something as simple as having one-to-ones, like once a month with our, our, our people and saying, is everything okay? Not one-to-ones like, oh, is your performance on par? One-to-ones in, is your work-life balance okay? Is everything okay at home? Do you need a hand with anything? Are you, are you finding the job okay? Are you under stress? Do you need a bit of time off? You know, and and if we need to, if we need to plug that hole so you can go take a week or two and chill out, we'll do it. You know, I'd much prefer you to be happy, healthy, and ultimately selfishly, because those happy, healthy people in, in this culture that we inspire um, ultimately benefits the business because they, they work harder, they work happier. You know, it's, it's, it's good stuff. They're more willing to go the extra mile because you know, they're cared for, you know, and, and that's a huge thing for us. A big thing for me is culture. You know, like we need to inspire a culture where we empower these people to if if they've got to go and pick the kids up because the babysitter's let them down or something yeah don't worry about it just go like don't worry about booking a half day holiday or that sort of rubbish you know I know I'm going to get it back 10 times over if if you if I know I'm looking after you you know if they want to work from home let them work from home what's all this what's all this office mentality rubbish like I, I like being in the office every so often like I like the hybrid element I like seeing people I like having a chat I like the collaborative stuff, but, you know, like if these people are happier working from home and they can do their job just as well, and I've got I've got metrics, I've got sprint planning, I've got all that sort of stuff to show me that they are doing that, what's the, what's the point, you know? But it's so, so important. And, and if people are all, and the biggest thing that I will say about this is, again, it's down to myself, the leaders, the, you know, the managers, the, the board uh, to a certain level to kind of do it from the top down um and it's not all about take 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 we can't as as managers and leaders just take 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 from our employees and then not give anything back because not only will they just leave and go somewhere else for for more money or a better culture but it's going to have a serious detrimental effect on them and and we need to really address that no absolutely um so on october 31st uh is the in like one year anniversary of the haunted hacker podcast that Mike started with his uh, roommate. Um, and I'm working on the um, one year anniversary edition of the magazine. We haven't had the magazine that long, but we're, it's for the podcast. And I actually have a separate mental health ish, like call like section for it. So, yeah. um, because it is, it's very important that people know that they can talk about it. I also think it's very important for people that have had bad experiences of companies that have, you know, let's say, you know, they say one thing, but haven't, you know, haven't done it, you know, they're not saying something and doing another thing is they don't go through with it. Yeah. It's all lip right. service, isn't it? Lip yeah. service. Yeah. That was what I was looking for. <laughs> and yeah. So, I mean, I think, yeah, it's absolutely great that you, you know, like if they feel comfortable and can talk to you because otherwise they're just going to go, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And they're going to go find another job or yeah. something worse, you or, know, or even, yeah, even worse, you know, like they have a, they have a, an episode, you know, and, the, the biggest thing for us, and we say about the one-to-ones and stuff, we we have that open-door policy. I talk to my staff uh, too much, to be honest, probably. Like, I'm always ringing them, and I ring them on the weekend, and we'll have a laugh, and we'll just say, yeah, is everything all right? And, and, and you need to be that 
person and if you're not that person for the teams that you look after if you if you don't care about those people don't be in a management position because you are responsible for those people and if 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 you take the advantage of well they're here to work you know it's work blah 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 just don't bother talking to me like it's just it's it's one of them you know because it's so so important it's it's it really can't be understated mindfulness is a great one if if you if you're talking about options on what people should do i found like me personally i found mindfulness very effective you know like even just when you're lying in bed thinking about that particular log or you're thinking about that issue that's happened especially this week it's been an utter nightmare but like just having a bit of chill time just focusing yourself you know it's uh it's good stuff i'm getting better at it i've uh, the planning, like using a planner. I mean, digital yeah. calendars are great, but when you write something down and physically look at it after, yeah. and I still have it in my, you know, like in my digital calendar as well, but something about doing that and putting like, I'm going to go meditate or I'm going to yeah. do this. So I'm getting better at that. I'm not perfect yet. Um, but it's, you know, it's a, a work in progress, but that you're right. The mindfulness, the meditation, just taking a moment to stop and think about anything, but what you're doing, because that burnout is so real. And, yeah. you know, it, it goes back to the passion, you know, it, you'll burn out way quicker if you yeah, don't yeah. have the passion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, but even that won't get you hundred percent with it. You know what I mean? Like even, even I've been close to it a couple of times in my career you know and, and you think what, what am I going to do like how am I going to how am I going to get over it you know and, and it is that right I need to take a bit of time for myself I need to do some mindfulness I need to focus on something I need to go take the dog for a walk you know like I need to just do something to disengage from what what I'm in at the moment and and, and then hopefully I can I can move forward you know and if if we we as leaders need to spot that you know, to see if someone, and you can tell if someone's off, if you care about your people and you engage with them, you know when, oh, you know, so-and-so is a bit quiet, like they're, or they're a bit shorter, because obviously an animate burnout is you just become a lot snippier for for smaller things, which again, I've been guilty on myself, you know, so, and and it's just recognising the signs and acting upon them, I think is the, is the biggest one. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love your, um, forthrightness and how you're handling it so um anybody that wants to work for you sounds like they would be lucky um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh, we'll make sure to make sure like if you're hiring let me know i always try to help share and comment everywhere for people to get hired and stuff but um yeah that's awesome and i think uh alex do you have anything else um no i think we can open the floor to the questions if anybody's got questions um sure while they're typing i think um sean if you have any questions to us in general about haunted hackers um us particularly some people here who are attending just ask us now and then we can discuss that yeah no i think i mean i've recently obviously i met alex i mean was it last week now yeah two weeks ago probably yeah yeah a couple of weeks isn't it um and and we started engaging about this and I thought it's, it's a really good thing and watching the Chris Roberts one and a couple of others it, it seems like you I just like talking to people who get the industry do you know what I mean like I like talking to people who not the salesman stuff not the not that rubbish you know like just talking about issues and all the rest of it and I think that you guys are really kind of grabbing onto that which is which is really great you know I think there's a I think there's a lot we can you know, 
Actually, uh, I do have a to, question for you. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt you. So how was it being at a conference for the first time since like the whole lockdown? It was crazy. It was really good. <laughs> but at the same time, I think office workers softened me immeasurably. I was there for two days. <laughs> and like within four hours, my feet were hurting. My back was hurting. I was like, I am not. Ca-. And, and obviously, like I said, I used to run a coffee shop. So like, I used to be like 10 hours on my feet, 12 hours on my feet. No problem. It's probably completely fueled by caffeine at that point. But like um it was great but like it like i said like it was great to just just get out there and just talk to people about you know um what have you seen in the industry at the minute how are we dealing with it you know what what problems are we coming across what's always so infuriating that we just have to kind of deal with you know um and and all that sort of stuff the talk was really cool full disclosure on the talk as well um our our group technical director paul colwell um who I've worked closely with for, since I've been at Cyber. Like, he was great. Again, adopts that mentality of looking after your staff, you know, the mental health element, which is really cool. Uh, he was supposed to give the talk um, and he got really ill, like over, and he's it, for, it's, it's just coming out of it now. Nothing crazy serious, but he, was, he couldn't do the talk, basically. Found out at like 4 p.m. the day before. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Because I said in passing, I went, because it was either cancel it, and then I, as a as a passing remark, I said, "Oh, I'll do it. Don't worry about it." You know? <laughs> and, and then Paul was like, "Oh, that's amazing, mate. Cheers. I owe you one. Here's the slide deck. No notes on the slides whatsoever, because he's a proper wing it kind of guy. You know what I mean?" So I was like, "Brilliant. Okay." So I was up to about midnight writing notes, rehearsing in my kitchen to the dog. Like <laughs> you know, she found it really engaging, so it was fine. <laughs> um and then like obviously we, we went so is he a sock analyst now the, do- the dog oh ck analyst a sock oh yeah analyst. i put her on sorry bad joke with little pause <laughs> <laughs> um but um she's too young now so it's only two um but yeah so and, and it went really well i think it i think it went really well um i had weird i had weird feeling in terms of like there's a lot of presenters or whatever you call them whoever has the stand yeah a lot of people turn up in like full suits and everything you know um there was only a <laughs> yeah. few people who kind of came up like dressed smart, casually yeah smart yeah, casually yeah. yeah and it's a, it's quite weird feeling to see everybody like so professionally dressed up and everything and in my head i was like i was like come on guys i was like if you're especially in cybersecurity, i can't imagine any ransom groups on anyone wearing suit and being all professional i was yeah, like that's yeah. not it's like that's not, how, that's not how the reality looks like i was like nah, we're, not, exactly. okay, we're not we're not lawyers or anything so i was like it's really no. interesting that as well because we see people like um you know like since obviously covid and everyone's moved to this decentralized model and i think we've had this like social revolution of of people realizing they can work from home and they can reclaim some of their life there, which is awesome, you know. Um, and th- that whole dress down, like, you know, everyone's just fucking like, you go down to London now, like, we, we started doing some work in London and nobody's wearing a suit. Everyone's just chilling in chinos and a t shirt, and, you know, like, it, it's, it's just normal. And then I, I went down in a, like, in a full suit and was like, I am completely out of whack here. Like, this is not like, so I think people should move towards that just 
wear what you want like as long as it's not crazy you know like just wear you know custom tracksuits nice um and like and everyone has a different one for the team that'd be really cool um <laughs> but um it's just you know like everyone should be more relaxed but you still see organizations that are like no even for internal meetings you've got to be like full suit tie suit jacket and it's like come on man like it's just not worth it yeah, I, I literally went, I went to Black Hat and DEF CON this year um, and I wore dresses every single day. And I just was like, I have been in pajamas for like a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I never leave my house. I just sit here and like in pajamas. So I was like, I'm trying to like pretend I'm like normal now. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. and I walked into like the carjacking like village and I'm, in, I'm like, and I'm in a dress and everybody's like, what, what's going on? And I'm like, Hey, just cause I'm in a dress. Don't underrate me. Like <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll rock a dress at the next conference and then I'll see yeah. if anyone does anything. But yeah, no, so we had a question from Richard. Um, just so we're not forgetting. Yeah. Um, so he asked about, uh, for the topic of ransomware, he asked, "How's uh, how effective is follow the money in regards to cryptocurrency investigations?" Yeah, it's a valid point. I mean, we we don't we haven't. I mean, touch wood, we haven't actually had a company who have paid a ransom since I've been there. So, like, we don't we don't really go to that point. But in terms of just that general element, I suppose it's dependent on what they use as a currency as well. Because we see a lot. It's not Bitcoin anymore. It's 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 of all sorts of different cryptocurrencies. Um, I think Monero was one that we saw not too long ago. Um, and I think it's because obviously the kind of tracking Bitcoin wallets and all the rest of it has become so popular. It, it's kind of like, well, we you could get it in Bitcoin, but what's, you know, when you go down that money laundering element of like, obviously you're moving it around and then it goes to an exchange and all the rest of it, like, and you have to follow the money. How far does it go? And also like, is that a viable form of attribution when we look at where that money is ultimately coming out from? Or was that just another layer to it? You know, it's, uh, it's certainly an interesting one because I'm always curious about how they, how they realistically think they're going to get that out and, and how they, how they do that from a, an exchange point of view and ultimately get something out of it. But like you looked at the dark side one um, where they, they copped a bit too much heat for the colonial pipeline one. And I bet you that was a bloody VPN as well. But like, um, and and they went dark and they stole like all of them. They stole basically the wallet, didn't they? And, and left their affiliates in the dark, which again is another reason why you can't trust cyber criminals. But um, it's it's certainly a, an interesting topic in terms of how how effective do you want to use it? You know, also an interesting point for that. I think I was talking to Alex about it the other day. You know, like everyone was like, "Yeah, Dark Side are gone now. They're they're completely kaput. We'll never see them again." And then, like two months later, Black Matter or like, oh, they they look really similar in terms of TTPs. And it's like they look really similar in terms of code. And it's like, is this just the same company with a new name? Or, you know, same same gang. So yeah. it just it makes me laugh that stuff. But, awesome. Yeah. Well, look, Sean, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, if there is going to be any more questions, obviously I'll just shoot it over to you. Obviously, there might be some questions in a Discord group. I'll send you the link as well to the Discord group. You can join. Yeah, yeah, there's, um, there's a I'm lot Discord. of people in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then yeah, and then obviously we'll 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 talk about how we will bring um, 
how will bring Kaspersky and the rest of the people and your friend, the one that hacked Hi. into. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get yeah, them on the, yeah. we'll get them on the podcast as well. Look, thank you very much. Thank you very much, everybody. And then yeah, we'll no see problem. you next week in a new podcast. Good stuff. Thank you very much, guys. It's been great. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, thank bye. you.